Hi there, and welcome to the Mind Coaching Podcast. I'm Frank Nielsen. I work as a mental coach. And in today's podcast, I have an extremely interesting gift for you. Paul de Gelder is a Navy diver. And in 2009, he experienced his worst nightmare. He was attacked by a shark. And the shark got a hold of his arm and his leg. He started to punch the shark, and for each time he punched the shark, his uh, arm and leg become even deeper into the mouth of the shark. When he was uh, ready to just give up, he was released from the shark, and uh, without the arm and uh, most of his leg gone, he started to swim back to the boat. In this episode, you're going to hear about the struggle with the shark, how it felt for uh, Paul when he decided uh, now it's over, how uh, he overcome obstacles, and uh, in in his uh, opinion, there are no excuses. So you can't uh, skip a leg day or a bench press if you uh, have uh, one arm or one leg uh, less. This uh, we also talk about a life without regret, give to others, how the greatest nightmare can become a great opportunity. Paul. Uh, Today lives a great life and his life is uh, doing what he was most scared of, and that is public speaking and uh, swimming with sharks. You know how uh, I think it's three or four uh, different uh, uh, seasons with Shark Week on the Discovery Channel. So just uh, enjoy this episode with uh, Paul the Gelder. Today I want to welcome uh, Paul the Gelder to the show. Welcome, Paul. Thank you, mate. Uh, so cool to have you uh, on this podcast, Paul. Uh, and to be honest, I became aware of you uh, at uh, uh, on Instagram when I saw your pictures uh, when uh, when I read your um, your bio. Correct. Uh, I read that uh, you fought of a shark by uh, yeah. by hitting its uh, nose and uh, poking its eyes. <laughs> And I remember uh, I reading that uh, some years back. So I just thought, oh, I need to talk to this guy. <laughs> so now you're here, Paul. Lovely. Yeah, it's uh, it's been an interesting journey. It must have been. Uh, when I read your bio, I saw that you started uh, being in uh, Defense Forces. Uh, can you first uh, talk a little about uh, how you ended up there? Yeah, Um so I, I probably wasn't a very good kid. There were six people in my family and my dad was a police officer and uh, I was not a shining example of a good police officer's son uh, and I got into a lot of trouble. And I moved around a little bit and um, just looking for a better life at about the age of 23, you know, I really didn't have too much going for me uh, and I knew that there was this big amazing world out there and I, I really wanted to see it and be a part of it but I just wasn't sure how to do that and so my two younger brothers had joined the army and I, I asked them if they thought I'd be a good match for it and they said no so I joined the army and um, <laughs> that was the kind of point in my life you know I got I got um, sent off to become an army paratrooper uh, jumping out of planes with a big machine gun and uh, it, it forced me into growing up and it gave me an appreciation for all of the things in life that I took for granted, uh, like a toilet. You know? <laughs> oh, you, you know, when you come back a couple of months out bush and you get to use the toilet again instead of a dirty hole, uh, it's, it's a nice change. Um, but uh, I did that for four years and... Um, I, I just kind of got a little bit tired of the monotony. Um, it was very exciting, but it was just the same thing year after year. And um, I, I, I wanted to keep growing. So I heard about these guys called the clearance divers, which were a little bit like the special forces guys in the Navy. Okay. Um, so I did a little bit of research and I put in some application forms to try out for them and passed. Um, you know, we, we, 10 days of, of selection courses and about 70% of my course quit, uh, most of them on the first day. And I lost wow. about uh, eight kilograms, uh, but I passed. You know, we're doing five-hour, six-hour swims in the middle of the night, and then you'll get two hours sleep and you'll run a half marathon, uh, and then you'll 
get another couple of hours sleep and you might do a 20-kilometer pack march and then pulling boats through the harbour um, and, you know, on and on and on for 10 days. So it really weeds out the people that don't want to be there. Um, but I, I really did and I passed and ended up um, working as a clearance diver um, for seven years. Um, and the main roles, you know, clearance diver is just a word to most people, I guess. So uh, we do a bunch of things as clearance divers. Um, the word clearance means we're clearing mines. Uh, so we'll do underwater and land-based mines. We do maritime tactical operations, so attack swims in the middle of the night on oxygen rebreathers. Uh, we also do underwater battle damage repair, diving on uh, diving helmets and using uh, underwater tools like welding and drills and chainsaws, uh, and, and that's pretty much it. Uh, it's a, it's a, a pretty amazing job, actually. Okay. Uh, I was doing it for four, four years, and one day in February 2009, uh, I turned up to work at about 6 o'clock in the morning to do a counterterrorism exercise, and by 7.30, I was breakfast and nearly dead. No. What happened, Paul? So I was, I was swimming on my back on the surface in a place called Woolloomooloo, uh, and that's right alongside the Navy base, right in the heart of Sydney City. Um, you can see the Opera House and the Harbour Bridge from where I was, um, and it's somewhere that we've, we've worked and trained thousands of times for decades. And I was only in the water for about five minutes on the surface on my back and a shark came up from underneath me, a bull shark, and it grabbed me by the right hamstring and the right hand in the same bite. And now my, my greatest fear in the world was sharks. So you can imagine my surprise when I turn around and find a great big shark head attached to me. Um, generally not what you expect. Nightmare. And it, didn't, it didn't hurt. Yeah, like looking eye to eye with this gigantic gray head with teeth half embedded into your body. Um, and I was terrified and I didn't know what to do. But then my survival instinct kicked in and I thought, oh, shit, I've seen, I've seen the crocodile hunter. I'll try and jab it in the eyeball. <laughs> but it, had, it actually had my hand in its mouth. So I couldn't use my right hand and I couldn't reach the eyeball with my left hand. So all I could really do is try and push it off by the nose but that only pushed the lower jaw deeper into my leg. And so I tried to punch it in the head, but as soon as I, I swung back to hit it, the shark started shaking me and all the strength went out of me because the pain was just incredible. It, when the bull shark um, grabs something, it, its top teeth latch on first and then the bottom jaw comes in underneath and as the head swings, the two teeth uh, act as a saw. So as it was shaking me, it was sawing the flesh out of my body, which I'm sure you can imagine is is pretty painful. Um, you know, a, akin to hitting your shin on the table on the coffee table. <laughs> but uh, you know, I, I was in agony. I was drowning at the same time because it took me underwater. And after about eight seconds, I, I'd just given up, and I thought, "There's no way that I can get out of this, and I'm going to die now." Um, but luckily a couple of seconds later, it had removed my hamstring. I didn't know this at the time, but it had actually ripped my hamstring out of my leg and taken off my hand as well. And it, and it started to swim away. So I popped to the surface and saw my safety boat with my three teammates in it. And I started swimming back to the boat. Um, but as I took my first stroke with my right hand, I could see that it wasn't there anymore. Uh, my arm ended at the end of my wetsuit. So my medical training kicked in and I thought I've got to keep that wound above my heart so I won't bleed out. So I kept my arm up out of the water and started swimming with one hand and one leg because I couldn't even feel my right leg. Um, the guys in the safety boat said that I was actually swimming through a pool of my own blood. Um, and I just thought the shark was going to come back and kill me. But lucky for me, the, the guys in the safety boat got to me first and they pulled me out of the water and started first aid uh, and kept me alive. Uh, do you think you would, uh, would have survived without the military training uh, beforehand? Not a chance. No way. 
the fact that you know the military had taught me not just medical training but also how to stay calm in a very uh, stressful situation like that and also I was so highly trained and so fit that my body was used to operating on lowered amounts of oxygen in my blood um, plus the adrenaline also kicked in but I really don't think I would have survived if I wasn't a highly trained uh, military operator. Uh, how did you mentally stay calm uh, under this moment? In this moment, Paul, it was it was about survival in the early moments. Uh, just get the hell out of the water as fast as possible because I'm still alive. I'm not going to give up. So just get to that boat, and the guys will take care of the rest. Um, so I just kept swimming. I, I wasn't going very far and I wasn't going very fast, but I just kept swimming. And, you know, I, I was not going to quit until I was dead. Uh, do you remember what you were thinking in this moment? Or is that just some... Uh... Get me out of the water. <laughs> get, me out. get out of the water. Out of the water. <laughs> Please uh, don't bite me again, because that shit hurt. <laughs> uh Uh, what I didn't tell you uh, beforehand, uh, Paul, is that uh, this podcast is a lot about mental strategies. And uh, the reason I wanted to ask that question is, uh, what are you thinking when you see the shark biting off your hand that I'm curious about? Uh, this is my worst nightmare. Yeah. There was only two things that I was definitely afraid of. And that was sharks and public speaking. <laughs> and the well, shark speaking, actually. Which is funny because now I do public speaking all the time. It's my main job. And I dive with sharks. So, you know, it's testament to the fact that you never know what life has in store for you. But when the shark grabbed me, it was, it was very quick. It was very instantaneous reactions. It's adrenaline. But after that, that's when the mental strength came in. Um, when I got to the back to the safety boat, And the guys pulled me out of the water and just out of the sheer relief of being safe and not eaten anymore, I finally got a chance to relax and I, I, my eyes rolled back in my head and my, I passed out. And my buddy thought that I was going into cardiac arrest. So his training taught him he had to stimulate my heart. So he straddled me and he gave me what we refer to as a series of short, sharp jabs to the chest, uh, <laughs> stimulate my heart and wake me back up. Okay. And, and it worked, you know. Um, and I woke up and I looked over and my hand was gone, freshly bitten off by a shark. Yeah. And I look up and Tomo's beating the shit out of me. And I just think, today's a really crappy day. <laughs> wow. He woke me up and um, I, I had to get my priorities in order. I didn't know if I was going to survive. Uh, and so I looked at him and I said, Tomo, can you make sure someone looks after my motorbike? <laughs> it's, it's very strange the things that you think of when you're thinking that you're going to die. You know, when I was underwater and, I, and the shark was tearing me apart and I had accepted that I was going to die, I actually had a, a calm come over me and I wasn't stressed and I wasn't fighting anymore and I looked, everything sort of slowed down and my mind was racing and I kind of felt that I hadn't lived a wasted life. In those last moments, I had no regrets. You know, I, I lived 10 lives since then. You know, I had a, a rap career. I'd opened up for Snoop Doggy Dog as a rapper. I, I'd traveled. I'd peacekeeped with the United Nations. I, I'd done so much. And if I was going to die, then I was ready to go. And I think that's one of the most important things that people forget to do is, is to really, really live their lives so that when that time comes where it's your last day, you can look back and not have any regrets. And you can look back and say, I have really lived. One thing I'm extremely curious about, uh, Paul, uh, when you experienced a shark attack and you lost two of your limbs, I presume that uh, your life got uh, turned upside down. Did you want uh, to give up and feel sorry for yourself, or how did that? Uh... Not. I didn't. I never wanted to really give up for an extended period of time. I, I was on a lot of drugs the first week. 
Uh, and I was unconscious for a lot of it as well. So I really wasn't thinking too clearly. Um, but I ended up having to have my the rest of my leg taken off. And after that surgery, uh, the pain management team couldn't manage my pain. Uh, the drugs weren't working anymore. My legs swole up enormous. And I went through 20, 20 hours of agonizing torture where I, all I wanted to do was die. Ooh. Just to stop the pain. You know, this is a, the worst feeling I've ever had in my life. And I would never wish this feeling on another human soul to think that your only option to stop the pain is to die. And I rolled from side to side in my hospital bed, crying, begging for death. And I even asked my mum to go down the street and find a gun so I could kill myself. <laughs> um yeah, it was a tough day, man. Um, but fortunately, that, that pain passed. And since then, I, I really – I never let myself get too upset by things for too long. Um, a, a good friend of mine gave me some advice and he said, look, don't feel bad about feeling bad. It's okay. Everyone feels bad. Just identify why you are feeling bad. Accept it. Either – Fix it or get rid of it and just move on. Don't let it ruin your your day, your week, or your whole life because it's just not worth it. So I use that a lot. and I, I never really have extended periods where I wanted to give up. Um, there was tough nights, obviously, where I was crying myself to sleep because the pain was so bad or it was just, it was just great enough to keep me awake. And I couldn't sleep all night and I knew that I'd have another long day ahead of me. And sometimes it was just very, very hard to deal with all of that. But it, I, I was determined never to give in. I, I was never going to try and end it. I was never going to wallow in my self-pity because just like how I felt when I was about to die, that I'd had no regrets, I was determined to still keep that mentality of not having any regrets. And I, I was still alive. You know, I wasn't mm. going to die. I, I, could, I could never kill myself. I'm not that sort of person. I, I don't believe in, in giving up the, the gift that we've been given. And so what was I going to do? Was I going to wallow in my self-pity and get addicted to my pain medications and give up on my career and just have a really shit life? Or am I going to take the, the tiniest of steps, you know, give myself the tiniest of challenges that I can complete time after time after time and build those small challenges and goals and tasks into this big impossible dream of going back to my job. And so that's what I decided to do because I wanted to have a good life. Uh, but you're talking a lot about the regret here and not having uh, regret. Uh, and is there a reason that uh, the regret is something important for you. Yeah, well, it's it's not just me. You know, there was a a nurse, uh, I think about ten years ago, and she put together an article or a book or something um, talking about. You know, she spent a lot of time with people on their deathbeds, and she put together a book of um, dying people's biggest regrets or biggest wishes of what they wish they'd had they'd done or hadn't done. And it, it, it was full of people's regrets. I wish I'd said sorry to someone. I wish I'd been here. I wish I'd done that. So why wait until that time when you all you can do is wish? Mm. You live them now. This is the time. This is what we have. So make it worth it. Yeah, true. So it was uh, actually the book and the nurse that uh, changed uh, your opinion about it. No, I actually found out about her later. But it, it, it solidified my beliefs in what I was doing. Mm. Um, that I, I never even realized that the regrets would come. You know, that was just a, a, a surprise to me. Mm. When I was underwater, drowning in agony, feeling like I'm about to die, and then all of a sudden I'm thinking about whether or not I have any regrets. You know, I, I didn't expect that to happen. I didn't know that was going to happen. It's just what happened. Um, and so now I know what's important to me because you, you you can never truly know 
what the most important things in the world are to you until you're nearly dead and you have to give you you'll never see them again or you'll never have them again or you'll never get to accomplish something again so that's the beauty of the experience that i've been through and i look at it as that i think i think it's a an amazing experience that i've had that very few people will ever get to have to find out what is truly important to you mm. what did you found out find out Paul? i found out that happiness is essential and the best way to get that happiness is not by trying to provide it to yourself but by providing it to other people interesting uh that is very interesting so how it's, did you realize yeah, that it was that it, it was about other people um it, it came from me actually experiencing it uh because i i spent a lot of time obviously trying to recover going through my rehabilitation and focusing a lot on me and what i needed to do and what i wanted and i you know i, I ended up going back to surfing and i was very proud of the things that i was achieving um You know, I, I went back in the ocean trying to surf on one leg three months to the day after the shark attack. Wow. I got back to work after six, I got back to work with the navy as a diving instructor after six months. Um, but it wasn't until I was asked to go and speak at a, a camp for kids suffering from cancer that I really felt my value because, like I said before, you know, the two things I was greatest afraid of were sharks and public speaking. And people had asked me to speak before that, but I just kept saying no. But you can't say no to kids with cancer. And so I went along to this camp and I, I spoke to these 30 young kids. You know, some of them had no, one kid had no leg, no feet and no hands. He was 19 years old. He hadn't even really lived and he had no feet and no hands. These kid had kids had grown up in hospital. They were looking down the barrel of having to live in hospital for the rest of their lives on and off. And so I got to go in there and I got to tell them a story about me with all the laughs and all the tears and all the excitement and make them forget about all the bad things that they were going through and just have a good time. And even though I was terrified, I walked away from that experience with so much joy in my heart that I'd done a good deed for those kids. I realized that that's what I needed to keep doing to keep to make sure that I was happy and feel like my life really had value. So that is what's fueling your fire now then? Yeah, the, there is everything I do, every opportunity that I get now in life and there are many and it's a very very an amazing life i have now i believe it all comes down to the things that i've done for other people to help them out you know whether it's karma whether it's the universe uh i, I don't know and i don't do it for that purpose but everything good that i have in my life now is because of the things i've done for other people and it's very very and some of them it, it really directly have been because of that it's it's really quite remarkable and i think that's very interesting because uh, in this uh, day and age we are very material and uh, we often think a lot about ourselves so uh, for you to say that uh, every every one of my opportunities has come from helping others i think it's important Yeah, and look, I, I'm, I'm material as well. I drive a nice car. I I live down by the beach when I'm in Sydney or when I'm in living in LA. But that doesn't stop you have me from going and volunteering my time. <laughs> You've earned that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's it's another example of I I I didn't want a particularly fancy car, but you know the great things I have in my life now have come from these mm. um, periods of service to other people. Mm. So I, I'm very fortunate that I've identified that for a start, that the good things I do provide for me as well, as, as well as providing for other people. So it's, you know, it's, it's double-edged sword. That mm. They get something out of it, I get something out of it, and everyone's happy, and you get to share in those people's joy. So there's two people happy instead of just you. 
Uh, when you experience something like a shark attack and uh, you lose uh, two of your limbs, uh, how do the people around you behave? Uh, um, my friends and family were all super supportive. You know, um, er- everyone helped as much as they could, uh, even though I don't like a lot of help, uh, <laughs> which was extremely frustrating for a lot of them because I realized that, you know, I was going to eventually have to learn how to do everything by myself. And so I tried to do it straight away um, with a lot of limitations too. But I had, you know, there's no way I could have done it without the amazing support that I had with my, my military friends, my childhood friends that I, that I, you know, everyone flew in from around Australia, no matter where they were. And they just gave me so much love and so much support um, that sometimes I felt like I wasn't just doing it for me, but I was doing it for them as well. That that was a lot of motivation. Uh, and you said earlier that uh, you was a kid that uh, wasn't behaving maybe that great. <laughs> and uh, how was it to see that people flying in to help you when you uh, were stuck in this situation? Because I presume that uh, even if you uh, maybe don't want to say that, you felt a little bit sorry, sorry for yourself after this encounter with the shark. Yeah, well, I, I'd changed a lot since those early days of being a bad kid. And, you know, I, I, I'd served my country and my, my family and my parents and all of my friends were extremely proud of how far I'd come. Hmm. Um, and we'd all been through a, a lot of things together. So um, there was no hesitation in them coming straight out. So, you know, one of my best friends that I, I've, been mates with since I was 10 years old. He lived up uh, in the northern states of Australia called Queensland and he gave up his job and moved down to Sydney to act as my carer and look after me and cook for me and clean for me. And, you know, yeah. How, how amazing is that? That's, that's amazing. That's true friendship. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think you found that uh, everywhere. But, no, uh, definitely not. But how long time did you use to uh, come back again uh, after that attack? Uh, well, I, I went back to work after six months. Um, so I was I was trying to exercise in my hospital bed two days after I had my leg chopped off. Uh, I was trying to do one arm chin ups on the bar above <laughs> my bed. Uh, I, I didn't want to lay there. There was no way I was going to lay there and be a victim and overthink the situation because. Some in a situation like that, it's, it's so complicated and it, it can become so crushing the weight of the situation that if you don't start moving, it can pin you down and all you get left with is your thoughts and they can sometimes be your worst enemy. Sometimes you just got to stop thinking, take action and start moving forward. So that's what I did. I, I I exercised before I could even get out of bed to go to the toilet. I ate twice as much food to try and get my weight back on. I drank lots of fluid. I read constantly. I got onto the internet and, you know, I Googled the best prosthetics in the world. Uh, I looked at two video clips of Paralympic athletes. And the, the more research I did, the more I realized that if these people can do it, if they can have no limbs or go through accidents and, still live an amazing life, then there's no reason that I can't either. You know, th- that's the beauty of the world that we live in at the moment. We have the wealth of the world's knowledge within a few keystrokes. There, there is no reason that we have to struggle through this thing called life alone, recreating the wheel. We can learn from other people. We can learn people and people we will never meet that have been through the same circumstances. And we can we can learn from their failures, we can learn from their successes, and we can even improve on what they've done. So there's really no excuses. Oh, very true. Uh, and where is that mindset coming from? For, uh, this is a mindset. So uh, is that from the military training or from uh, early life? Or where is, where is this coming from? I think it's a combination of everything. I think it's the, the fact that I had been through a lot of things growing up as well. Um, you know, the, the, the struggle of being a teenager um, that we all go through, 
you know, we're, we're dealing with all of these emotions and all of these circumstances like peer pressure and girls and parents and school and looking at the future, but we have no frame of reference on how to deal with these things because it's the first time. And some of us deal with them well, some of us don't deal with them well at all, and that was me. And so I got – I failed year 11 and 12. I got kicked out of school. I got kicked out of home. I was smoking a lot of weed, uh, smoking cigarettes, drinking, selling marijuana. Um, and it, it, it gave me this quite hard life where I had no money and I was always fighting to survive. Um, I ended up living in a house with no electricity. I had no running water, I had no job. And then you add on to that the the strength and the struggle that the army and the navy gave me as well and all of those things combined i think everything that i had done and everything i'd struggled through in life was almost like training for what was to come after the shark attack because i knew struggle i knew how to put up with pain i knew that it could be so much worse you know at least i wasn't at this point you know i'm missing my hand i'm missing my leg i'm in a lot of pain but I'm not living in a house with no electricity. I've got food in the fridge. I've got running water. I can shower. I can take shit in the toilet. I can go outside and there's a beach five minutes away. So really, you have to look at the, the great things that you still have and appreciate those, even though some of the other things that you used to love might not be there anymore. Oh, I think that is so amazing to hear because I think that is a lot of the solution really. yeah, we need in this life. Yeah, the only constant thing in this world is change. Hmm. Things are going to change whether we want them to or not. Our personalities, our relationships, our jobs, and we get comfortable in those things that we have. But you have to realize that sometimes they're not going to be forever. And if those things have to change, if they have to be removed, then be flexible enough to realize that They're not gone. It's just changed. You you can fill those gaps with other things that will be just as fulfilling, if not more fulfilling. Uh, what strategies do you use to overcome obstacles then? Sheer will and strength and I don't know. I I I, I learn a lot from the internet. I I, I try and identify why I'm having obstacles, whether it's physical, mental, professional. And I, I firmly believe that with the right tools, you can overcome anything. Um, and sometimes that right tool, as you're saying, is just the right mindset. Um, the mindset to realize that you don't have to quit. You know, there are things that you can do to accomplish anything you want. So we've put... We put spaceships on Mars. Yeah. People have been to the moon. We've built rocket ships. We, you know, people are out there creating these amazing things and doing that. They're no bigger or better than who we are. Hmm. They're just doing things in a different realm. With the right tools, there's nothing we can't accomplish. Okay, so, for example, I, I needed to go back to the gym and train. I needed to train three times as hard to be half as good as my mates in the Navy diving branch. But having one hand and one leg obviously can really throw out your bench press and squats. Um, <laughs> you know? Yeah, true. <laughs> but, but I went to that gym and I knew I had to train. And, very, and, and luckily the Army gave me a very important mantra that in way back in basic training that I still use to this day. And that mantra is improvise, adapt, and overcome. Okay. So I, I couldn't wait bear on the end of my arm. I couldn't do push-ups because I had no hand. And I thought, okay, well, I'm going to improvise. And I pulled a bench over and I put my elbow on the bench and I used my left hand and I did push-ups that way. And I couldn't hold a dumbbell and I couldn't hold the cables to do certain exercises. And I thought, well, I'll improvise, I'll adapt, I'll, I'll, I got onto the internet and I found this lifting hook that the bodybuilders use for very heavy deadlifts and pulling exercises and I bought one of those and with that lifting hook, I could slip the material loop over my forearm and then I could put the steel hook into the cables or I could rest a dumbbell in it and do curls. You don't have two legs for squats. Does that mean you skip leg day? 
<laughs> you never skip no. like that. <laughs> One-legged pistol squats. There's always a way. You improvise, you adapt, you overcome. You know, sometimes you need that mindset. Sometimes you need a physical tool. Like now I have my weightlifting prosthetics and there is nothing that I can't do in the gym. I train three times harder than everyone around me because I want to inspire them to realize that they can accomplish more than they even believe they can. Wow. That's the, that's the beauty military has taught me. You know, not, not just to push myself beyond all of my limitations, but to inspire other people to do that as well. Because if they can see me doing it, missing a leg and missing a hand, then they'll believe that there's no reason they can't too. Uh, have you always been this inspiring, Paul? Because I'm listening to you, I'm becoming uh, inspired. So uh, have you always been this inspiring? As a person? <laughs> uh, no, look, I, I really wasn't. Um, it's, it's things that I've learned. And that's the funny thing about it. Um, you don't have to be born this way. You don't have to, it doesn't have to be a talent that you just have. These, these are things that we learn, uh, emotional states we learn, um, motivational, um, I don't know, uh, you, you don't just have to think that, okay, I'm this person, I have to accept that, and this is going to be my life. No, that's bullshit. You know, you know how we get good at anything? With practice. Mm, practice, yes. Our emotions, are, our emotions are no different to a physical action. Mm. If you want to get a good bicep, what do you do? You do curls, okay? Mm. You want to get a positive mental attitude, what do you get? You practice a positive mental attitude. You, you surround yourself in positive, uh, motivated people. You surround yourself in all of the things that you love and make you happy, and you have absolutely no reason not to live the life of your dreams. I'm just so agree with you, Paul, because that's the reason I started, some of the reasons I started the podcast was to show that the mental muscle is also a muscle. So if you want to yeah. live a better life, you have to train the same way you're training your physical body. Uh, because uh, in, exactly. for some reason, we uh, don't understand that uh, the mental game is just uh, a muscle that needs training. So thank you for saying that yeah. one. <laughs> Uh, but now you have a completely different life. So how was it to suddenly become famous? Oh, I don't really look at myself as famous. Um, okay. <laughs> uh, I, I, I get the opportunity to reach uh, a wide audience now, which is great, and, and try and inspire them. Um, so I, I, I really just look at it all as a bit of a blessing. Mm. You know, last week I got paid to go to Hawaii and go free diving with, with, with 40 sharks so that I could spread a conservation message. And then from Hawaii, I flew to L.A. and hosted the Steve Irwin Gala Dinner to raise funds for all of the uh, Australia Zoo conservation projects. Wow. Uh, what's the reason that you're also uh, you're, uh, the animals? I flew back to Australia, and I got off that plane, and I went and did uh, Encyclopedia Britannica, watching David Attenborough on television, uh, Steve Irwin, obviously. I just, I, I always loved animals. You know, there, there's no lies in an animal. Uh, and Steve Irwin was, you know, he was, he hit it the nail right on the head when he said, "Look, I, I, I love animals because they don't bullshit you. You know, if an animal, if a crocodile wants to eat you, it wants to eat you, and you know that. But people will pretend to be your friends when they're not." Um, so I don't know. It's just they're the real the animals are the true innocence of this world. You know that they're, they're not out for anything. They're not deceptive. They're not malicious. They're just being animals, and all they want to do is live. So I think we've done enough damage to this planet. I think we've killed enough animals. I think we really need to start looking at uh, growing as a species, as humans, to try and protect the last vestiges of this wild and beautiful planet we have. So you want to preserve sharks? Oh, yeah. Yeah, they've been getting destroyed. 100 million a year. That's crazy. 100 million? And they're, they're a very important. 100 million a year. Ooh. Every year. For, for Mostly for the um, shark fin soup trade. I see. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy, right? Uh, yeah, that's extreme. 100 million 
here. But that's that's wiping the oceans out of a very important piece of the puzzle. You know, not just for the fact that they're incredible animals, and but they are very important to the ecosystem of the ocean. So a lot of people don't know why, though. Um, and it's pretty simple once you understand. So if you take a specific area, okay, and there's all of these animals living in this area, and they all feed off each other and stuff like that. So you take out the top apex predator, which is the shark, and the sharks are all gone now. The animals that the sharks ate, so the carnivorous fish, the things like the, the fish that eat the other smaller fish, there's nothing to keep that population in check. So that population absolutely explodes, mm. and they just they just decimate all of the herbivorous fish. Now, all of these herbivorous fish have been eating the algae off the coral reefs. Mm. If they're not there to eat the algae, then the, co the coral reefs get choked by the algae and they die. All of a sudden, there's no coral reefs left. There's no homes for the rest of the organizations and the whole, the whole ecosystem collapses. And that's just, that's just one example of what happens. And it's actually happened in places around the world. Yeah, and now we also have plastic in the water. So we have some challenges. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we have a lot of challenges. Uh, some last questions, now, Paul. Uh, how do you stay uh, motivated? Um, oh, I have goals, really. Um, so for the past two weeks, I've been training really, really hard. Um, heavy weights in the morning, cardio and ab work in the evening. Um, because I have to, I'm filming in this TV show that I'm filming at the moment. I have to do a nude strip scene. Okay. Which is terrifying. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> it, sounds, it sounds really weird, but it fits into the storyline. But I, I want to look good. You know, this is going to be, this is my first time as a actor. I'm going to get my clothes off. I want to look good. So I've got a goal there. Um, so you can't, there's no, there's no way you're going to be able to achieve the absolute best that you want to achieve if you don't have a goal. Uh, and it doesn't have to be big. You know, when when I was just out of hospital, my goals were eat healthy, wake up earlier, drink more water. Um, some of these are still goals to this day. Um, but, you know, it, it it's so much more helpful if you have a goal. You know, I want to run my first marathon. I want to do my first Ironman. I want to do my first five-kilometer run. I want to do my first ocean swim. You know, anything like that. Set yourself a little goal, something that you can aim towards and, and picture it and see it in your mind and imagine how incredible you will feel once you've completed that goal. And that should be a driving factor. But obviously, we're going to slip up and we're going to eat tubs of ice cream and we're going to let our training slip sometimes, but it doesn't mean you quit. It just means you slipped up, all right, face up to it, and I'll get back on the wagon and here we go again. So because how, this is important to me. So how do you stay uh, disciplined? Me, I'm programmed to do it. Okay. Um, well, I have the, I have the training of the military behind me to make me disciplined. <laughs> For me, uh, I'm I'm programmed. So what that tells me is that you know I'm not brainwashed. It's just been driven into me so many days for so many years that now this is how I think. So it comes back to that whole practice thing. Mm -hmm. And Aristotle said that um, we become what we repetitively do. Mm -hmm. So excellence is not an act but a habit. Mm -hmm. So you need to make these things a habit. So just like the cigarette smoker that will wake up in the morning and have a cigarette first thing in the morning. Mm -hmm. Get up, make a habit of getting up in the morning, making your bed and going for a walk or a run or go to the gym first thing in the morning. And if you program yourself to do that over and over and over and over again, when you don't do it, that's when you'll think something is wrong. So true. And it's so important. So what's your morning routine then, uh, Mr. I get up and I have my protein shake and I go straight to the gym and I train. That's how we did. That's, that's you know, that's what happened um in hospital that's what got me moving straight away i was laying in my in my bed thinking to myself okay well look i've decided now that i want a really good life i'm not going to settle for a shit life so how do i do that and i thought back to my time as a soldier and as a navy diver and i thought well 
the first thing that we did every day was PT, physical training. So I thought, why would I break a good routine if it's been working for so long? And so I get up first thing in the morning and I go and do my PT and within an hour, two hours, I already feel like I've accomplished something worthwhile and that sets me up for the rest of the day. And then I crack into my emails, I crack into writing my next book, I crack into writing a, um, a treatment for a new show or I'm practicing my lines for this acting. You know, That sets me up, that motivation first thing in the morning, especially if I have a really big coffee. I think it's so important for people to hear that uh, the guy that fought out the shark is still uh, hustling and still uh, keeping it going. And yeah. uh, even if you had uh, always, uh, is it three uh, different uh, documentaries on the Discovery Channel now? Is that correct? Um, in after this um, next month, it'll be six. Six, yeah. Seriously, so I've got a Discovery Channel gave me. Yeah, that, yeah. Discovery Channel gave me a contract um, for six Shark Week shows. So I've just finished three of those six, and they'll be coming out in July. Um, one of them I actually got to swim with three male great white sharks without a cage. Uh, so that was really, really cool. Uh, no, I have to ask something. Yeah, all, Do you all ever experience fear, Paul? Uh, I get butterflies occasionally <laughs> when, when there's a, you know, a half a ton great white shark swimming directly at you, you, um, you know, you have to admit that there is some fear going on, but you know, you, you control it. So I don't recognize it as, as fear. I recognize it as excitement. Ah, so I changed to the perception of a fear. Yeah. Exactly. It's not fear anymore. It's excitement. I, I know now that when I'm afraid, that's actually me being really excited about doing something that I'm terrified of. Is that the army that uh, trained you to change the perception of fear? It really did, yeah. Yeah, having to um, jump out of planes in the middle of the night you know, and land in darkness and airborne rebelling out of helicopters and you know all, all of that crazy stuff you have to do um that taught me to trust in my training uh and trust that everything will work out all right if i if i just follow the steps that i've learned um and just you know suck it up control your breathing control your mindset control your emotions as much as you can and just enjoy it enjoy the experience because how many times in our lives do we get to experience that fear and excitement? Like the normal everyday person is is very rarely going to fear for their lives, which makes it that much more exciting. Like you, you, you treasure those experiences. You'll be, you know, if something really terrifying happens to you, but you live and you're okay, you'll be telling that story for the rest of your life. So what is that telling you about that experience? Is it a bad thing or is it something that's really made you feel alive? I really love your mindset, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> the way you have to become trained or trained yourself or whatever it is, I really love it. You have in some way changed the perception and uh, your perception is uh, enjoy the yeah. life. And if it's something is giving you fear, enjoy it even more. Exactly. And you know what? I'm, I'm no bigger or badder than anyone else. And my story is no, no more special than anyone else out there going through hard times. We all go through the shit, but you have to make that personal choice. Mm. And what do I want? Do I want a good life or do I want a bad life? And if you want a good life, then it's up to you. And you've got to stick to that. Yeah, stick to it and work and keep the discipline. I think that is, I think that is the most important part is to have the discipline to stick it out. Uh, I think everybody that has yeah. tried to and do if, something, they give up. Even if you fail. Yeah. Yeah. If you can stick it out and you can fail and you can slip up and, you know, we all fail. Even the most successful people in the world still fuck up. But it doesn't mean you quit. Mm. It just means you learn from that lesson. You go, all right, so I'm, I'm not going to do that stupid thing again. And uh, let's try another way. You, know? <laughs> you said something in the beginning. I have to ask you, uh, Paul, you did some rapping and uh, open for uh, for Snoop Dogg. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> what is that? <laughs> uh, 
Um, oh, it's just something that happened. You know, I, I moved away from home. Um, I, I grew up in a, a place called Canberra, which is the capital of Australia. Uh, it's a very, very boring place. So we did, we smoked a lot of weed and I, I got into a really big fight and I, I jumped by 20 guys. And so I, I decided that I needed to change my circumstances. So I packed everything into a car that I had no license for and I drove 12 hours and started a, a new life in a new city. And some of the people I met there were rappers, you know, they were involved in the music industry, these two American guys. And I started hanging out with them and making rap music and they had some good connections. And all of a sudden, you know, a year and a half down the line, I'm opening the Snoop Dogg concert with my song that I wrote. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I know. It's crazy. That, yeah, that's extremely crazy. It shows your mindset again. Yeah, you had some, some good mindset there. Every opportunity, yeah. every opportunity you get, you know, I, I'm I'm not a yes man, but I do believe when opportunity comes knocking, when you get the chance to experience something that you've never done before or really scares you, that you should definitely do it, um, because those those experiences and those choices have oftentimes been my greatest memories. Yeah, and I think that's for all of us. So, yeah. so your last fear uh, you overcome then, Paul, that was uh, overcoming the fear of uh, public speaking. How did you overcome that fear? I just kept doing it. Yeah. <laughs> I went from 30 sick kids in a cancer camp to the next job being 1,200 kids at a school. <laughs> um, and I just kept going and going and going because – like I said, I re I recognize that sense of joy and sense of um, value and purpose that I got from it. So even though it scared me, I wasn't willing to give up such a special feeling. Wow. And on, and on that uh, end note, Paul, thank you so much for the time. And, uh, no problem. And I, and I wish you well. I'm sure I'm going to see you a lot on television from now on. <laughs> best, Maybe doing best, some more crazy stuff. Yeah, best of luck, Paul. Thanks, Frank. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. If you want to check out the other English episode, uh, where you can find uh, episodes with uh, different uh, special agents from FBI, professors from Harvard, and so on, you can find it on uh, mtfranknielsen.no. Uh, and uh, Derek also find the English version and uh, if you like this episode please uh, give it a 5 star on iTunes and I wish you a great day goodbye